As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. The bottom line is that if you have a good operator, someone who's experienced and who has a track record, they probably know what they're doing, first of all, right? So they're probably going to find a good deal in a good market. They're going to know how to vet a good market and how to vet a good deal. And they don't want to spoil their track record, obviously. And plus, they're co-investing in the deal and everything else. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Actively Passive Investing Show. I'm your host, Travis Watts, and appreciate you guys tuning in. We are back in the studio here today recording this episode on how risky is multifamily in 2022 as we enter the new year. And quick little background on this. Risk should always be top of mind as an investor. And I think it's an understated, I think it's an underserved topic in the industry. So today we're going to talk about risk as it pertains to multifamily, but I've got some really good insights to share with you on some due diligence. I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. It's going to be a bit longer than the last couple. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and dive right in. So the first thing I want to talk about is the business strategy itself. Just saying is multifamily risky is kind of like saying is real estate risky. What exactly are we talking about? Commercial, retail, single family flips, development. There's all kinds of aspects here. So let's pinpoint what we talk about all the time on the show, which is value add real estate in the multifamily sector. So the big difference here when we talk about value add is to understand one key fundamental, and that's that the value of multifamily apartments is primarily based around the net operating income. That's the income the property generates after you pay all your expenses and taxes and debts and things like this. So how do you get net operating income to rise. Well, it has a lot to do with rent and rent growth. What are you buying a property at today? What are the current rents? What do you think you can get the rents to? This is all part of the strategy surrounding value add. So let's talk about a cap rate. I've described cap rate in a few different versions in previous episodes, but I want to give you a new way to look at cap rate. Hopefully it's not too confusing, but one, a cap rate is simply just a gauge to see how hot the real estate 
that we're talking about is. So if you've got a two, three, or four cap, that is suggesting a really hot market or a really hot asset, anything that's trading in that range. If we're talking a eight, nine, 10% cap rate in 2022, we're talking about a very soft market, an area that maybe folks aren't really wanting to move to or buy in for whatever reason. So something to keep in mind, but what cap rate also can be it's a multiplier. So think about buying a multifamily asset at a four capitalization rate. Basically, a four cap's like saying this. If we buy a property, and this is just generally speaking, example purposes only, obviously it's not a tried and true exact formula here, but if we buy a property at a four cap, it's a hundred unit or whatever, it produces a million dollars per year in net operating income. The four caps suggest a 25X or a 25 times multiplier to purchase price. So in other words, someone's going to say, okay, you have a property that generates million bucks a year. So the purchase price will be 25 times that. Just simply put, so what would that be? $25 million for a purchase price. Just generally speaking, just hear me out. That's how it works from a high level. Okay. Not an exact science. So the thing with value add and the thing with stabilized cash flowing projects is as long as you keep the income up and the expenses under control, there's a lot more predictability in that kind of play. It can be a lot less speculative than doing new development where you have to say construction costs are this today, but it's actually going to be three years down the road by the time we complete everything. So hopefully prices are X, Y, and Z in the future. And hopefully the market does A, B, and C to help us out. But that's speculating an awful lot and an awful lot in a space that quite frankly, you don't have much control over what government policy is and what the Federal Reserve decides to do and anything else that may pop up in between in terms of inflation, pricing, wages, lack of inventory, et cetera. So this is why I always say that cash flow is king. This is why I'm not such a fan anymore of flipping houses, although I used to do that. And it's also the same reason that I don't buy stocks as a buy low, sell high kind of mentality or strategy. I think it's very practical and very useful just to accept that market conditions are widely out of our control. Good news in the media, bad news in the media, so instead of buying a stock at $10 a share and then hoping that one day it's 15 a share and then hopefully I can sell, it's an awful lot of hope. But instead what I would do is I would buy a dividend producing stock and ideally at a discount as the market's just pulled back 10, 20, 30%. So I have a lesser chance of it going down even further at that point. But the important component is it's not about the price. It's not about buying it at 10 or 15 or eight or nine or seven. What it's about is the fact that it's producing positive cash flow or a dividend in this case, because we're talking about a stock. In other words, it's a lot less speculative if I can take a company that's been paying a dividend out for 10, 20, 30 years and say, well, they've never missed a payment or at least 90% of the time they've never missed a payment, even through the ups and downs and through the recession. So I have a lot more certainty and predictability on whether or not I'm going to actually receive a dividend from this company. That has a lot more control to it than saying, I think I'm buying it at eight or nine a share and I believe it's going to go to 13 or 14. That's just crystal ball territory that nobody really has. But some people like to think that they do have a crystal ball.
A few episodes ago, I talked about the lost decade, and this was from January of the year 2000 to December of the year 2009. So that's just about a decade of time right there. And had you just bought into the stock market, generally speaking, with an S&P 500 index, which is not a cash flow or a passive income or a dividend kind of play, even though it's got a small one attached to it, it's really a buy low, sell high mentality. It's that you're going to buy the general stock market and then hope that over time it goes up. But the fact is, during the lost decade, you would have bought in January 2000. It would have trickled down with the dot-com bust, and then 9-11 happened, and then we had a recovery, and then we had the Great Recession where you would have gone down again, and then we had a recovery where you went up again. But the fact is 10 years goes by, and you're left with really nothing. So you kind of got eaten up by inflation more or less, and you had no cash flow, nothing to put in your pocket month to month. So that's why I'm not such a fan of just buy low, sell high, and speculating. So not to suggest that you or anybody else shouldn't do that. I'm just sharing my opinions, my perspective with you in hopes that it can help you make more informed decisions. Okay, so that is kind of the big picture philosophy. That's from a high level. That was talking about strategy and business plan. Let's dive into the three risk areas that I often talk about. So onto the market risk. So first I'll share a quick story with you that I invested in at least two deals, could have been three at this point, where quite frankly, the market itself kind of saved the overall business plan and made investors profitable. So in other words, I invested in these deals where the operator didn't do necessarily a good job at all at executing on the business plan, doing what they said they were going to do. And the deal was just kind of average and so-so. It was basically just a, a market price deal, nothing too special. But the market itself was booming and it was a great high growth area. And I'll pinpoint a few things to look for in a market here in a minute. But essentially, we all got out profitably by the market bailing us out and not with the other two components, the operator and the deal itself being a big contributor to our overall success. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off 
at besteverconference.com. So there's really three main areas that I look at when I'm vetting out a market from a macro level that I think are really important to consider. One is jobs, and that's how many jobs are there? Who are the employers? And is the market diversified by industry? I've spoke a lot about Dallas in the past, being that no one industry comprises more than 20% of the job market. I don't know if that's still true today. It may be even better stats than that. But the fact is, it's not a Detroit, Michigan battery recession where it's really just one industry lifting the market. And if that one industry goes down, then everybody's hurt. Then I look at are people moving in or moving out of the market? Not every market, as you know, is created equal. There's an exit happening in parts of Los Angeles and San Francisco. More people are moving out than moving in. Rents are stagnating and in some cases declining in those areas. So how many people are there in general? How many are moving in versus moving out? This is all just public information that you can look up online and you can probably ask the syndicator or the operator for this data if they didn't provide it to you in the pro forma. And I also look at what's the absorption rate in the market. In other words, take a look at average occupancies and things like that. What is the overall absorption rate? You can find this, by the way, through CBRE, Marcus and Millichap. There's a lot of, again, public information that you and I have access to that will tell you this data. Next is wages. So what are your tenants actually earning? Obviously, the common thing that we look at is how much are they earning on average at this property, but also look at the three-mile, five-mile, 10-mile radius of jobs. Look at average incomes in the area and just decide if you're going to be charging $1,500 a month in rent, is that adequate for your tenant who's going to be living there, or is that a stretch or a push and at the very, very highest end of the affordability spectrum for that three, five, and 10 mile radius? I also look on the same topic, are the jobs recession resistant? In other words, at the property or in the surrounding area, do you have a, a medical facilities and doctors and nurses and things like that? Or is it cruise ships? Are you right next to Cape Canaveral in Orlando or Miami right there at the port? You got to look at what that industry is comprised of and who's actually working what jobs. Trying to decide are the wages safe, especially in volatile times like today and with viruses going around and with different industries having to shut down and all these crazy regulations that we have, you need to know that your tenants are going to be able to continuously pay the rent and that you have a diversified employment base among residents at the property. Okay, moving on to the operator risk. As an investor, the primary metric or statistic that I look at from an operator's perspective as I'm doing my due diligence is what is their track record? Is this business model that they're showing me what they usually do? Is it the norm for them? Is it their specialty or is it something that they're experimenting around with and have never done before? In other words, if an operator's done 40 deals just like this one over and over successfully and they can show me that data, even if a couple of the properties underperform, but in the wide majority they've outperformed or performed at expectations, that really goes a long way versus just saying, look, we're new to the business and we really hope this is all going to work out and we've never done it before, but give us your money and let's see what happens. That's a big red flag, at least to me. So some to consider. So I'm not going to go through all the different line items of vetting out an operator here on this episode because we've covered it so many times in different episodes. So check out some of the 2020 episodes that we did on how to vet an operator, a market, and a sponsor. But I will point out a couple more things for you real quick right here, which is get 
references, both from the operator, say, hey, do you have any investors that can speak to having some experience investing with you? But also try to branch out of that if you can. Try to get on forums and Google and attend any kind of real estate meetup groups. Try to meet people who are already invested with these groups. And guys, I can tell you, word of mouth referral is powerful. The way I've found a lot of operators that I partner with today is just through word of mouth references. It's not always because I requested a word of mouth reference. It's usually because I'm talking to someone and they said, hey, you ever invested with so-and-so? Yeah, I've done four or five deals with them and just had a really positive experience. And it usually kind of starts with that, right? A little bit of interest and then I do my due diligence and I interview them and then I'm on their deal list and then I end up partnering if it kind of matches my criteria. And then I would do a gut check analysis. I think this is really critical. It's very simple to do. I'm just talking about Googling the operator. I'm talking about going onto YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn, social media sources. I love to look at video. I love to watch interviews. And I'm just trying to get a gut check of who are these operators as people and in philosophy and in competency. And are they widely known? Are they out there in the industry? Or again, are they just getting started? Or is there no public information on them at all? Some of these items could be a red flag for you. So definitely watch out if something doesn't align or you just think there's something off about this person. I can't really pinpoint it, but I'm not really comfortable with what they're saying or how they answered that question. And last but not least, get on the phone with the operators. If you can meet them in person, even better. But if not, get on Zoom, get on a phone call and ask your questions. This can be very revealing. Again, like I often say, I'm not looking for the right answer, quote unquote. I'm looking for an answer that just makes logical sense. I'm just looking to know they've thought things through, that they're competent in what they're talking about. And I'm just trying to get an overall gut check that my money's going to be in good hands and not, oh, hey, good question. Hadn't even really thought about a recession happening. I don't know. I just, I don't think that's going to happen. That might be a red flag. All right, moving on to the last of the three risk points in my perspective, in my opinion, and that is the deal itself. Again, just my own opinion that the deal is 25% of your risk. The market is 25% of your risk. The operator is 50% of your risk. The bottom line is that if you have a good operator, someone who's experienced and who has a track record, they probably know what they're doing, first of all, right? So they're probably going to find a good deal in a good market. They're going to know how to vet a good market and how to vet a good deal. And they don't want to spoil their track record, obviously. And plus they're co-investing in the deal and everything else. So you still must do your due diligence, but this is kind of one of those trust but verify things. So let's dive into that. When an operator is doing a deal, I don't care what operator we are talking about, they want to show you the highlights of the deal and they want to highlight all the best features. They want to show you all the pros and they want to talk about how great everything is, but they are probably unlikely to show you any negativity or any stats that really don't justify their business plan. <laughs> so as I'm looking at Proformas and I'm tuning into webinars and I'm thinking about maybe investing in this deal, I'm kind of making notes of what wasn't covered. I kind of start off as they're talking. I wonder what's the cap rate here and what's the reversion cap rate and how conservative are they underwriting the T12 and are they giving me a sensitivity analysis and these questions. And as I go through and I read and I listen, I'm marking off my list, the answers. And what I'm left with, I'm kind of circling and then I'm going to set up a call and I'm going to ask those quote unquote difficult questions. But I encourage everybody listening to ask the difficult questions as part of critical due diligence. The last thing you want to do is go invest $100,000 and then find out three months later something wasn't disclosed or that you didn't understand something fully. And now 
you're locked in for five to seven years. I'll share with you guys a really quick story. This was a few years back. There was a deal that I'm listening to the webinar and I'm browsing through the pro forma and everything looks good. Numbers look good. Seems very conservative. Deal seems solid. Just seems like an overall great opportunity. So I'm really leaning towards investing. After the presentation's done, I hop on Google Maps and I just take a little drive-by of this property. And what I find is directly to the left of this property is a really old rundown mobile home park. Now, nothing wrong with mobile home parks. In fact, I used to live in a mobile home park growing up and I invest in mobile home parks today. But this particular mobile home park was really, really run down. I mean, it was in terrible shape. And the only thing that divided this park from this apartment community was a six to seven foot concrete brick wall <laughs> between the parking areas. And I thought, oh my gosh, that wasn't even talked about in the webinar. That wasn't even shown on the pictures. Here they are showing all the interiors and what they're going to do for unit renovations and not even talking about the elephant in the room, so to speak, which is right to the left of the property. So long story short, I decided not to invest in that deal, but this is the kind of due diligence that I'm talking about. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year, whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals? I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility within the next one to three years using a proven system created by my friend, Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract and she partnered with two other deal maker mentoring students and together they raised $700,000. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to deal maker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year and you've been thinking about getting in the multifamily, well, text the word Joe to 66866. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed. 
missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow Up Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Marketing, it can really hurt your drive-by traffic. You can do all the curb appeal enhancements as you want. New plants, new signage, new lighting, but people aren't going to miss as they drive out every single day in and out of that property what's just to the left. Look at school ratings, absolutely. That's often not talked about on a lot of webinars that I see. So it's that trust but verify if they make a generalization like, yeah, great schools, lots of families here. Just go do your homework, get on Zillow. It's really easy to go look that kind of stuff up. Look up crime stats, public information, do the drive-by, as I mentioned, on Google Maps. If you can, the best way is to visit properties in person. I always learn so much about it. And it's just the common sense factor. It's the gut check, right? When you're pulling in, what's the feel and what's the appeal? And as you talk with the property management company, what's your general feedback? How's the clubhouse look? Just stuff like that. Are people being responsive on the property? Is there graffiti all over the sign? Is there broken lights all over the place? It really tells you a lot about the area that you're not really going to see in a pro forma. So the goal in doing your due diligence, again, is trust but verify, and you're trying to seek out what's not being talked about in the webinar or the presentation. So again, just jot down your questions. Hey, what about that neighboring property XYZ? Is that going to be an issue or do you foresee any problems with that? Or what gives this particular property the competitive edge compared to the one that's right next door that seems to be doing great? Is there anything that this property has to offer that they don't? Maybe two or three swimming pools instead of one, maybe a better gym, or maybe it's some of the value-add plan that they're going to be implementing that's going to far exceed what neighboring properties have to offer. All that stuff is really great info to have. If you find a bad review on a school, hey, I noticed that the school next door is rated at three out of 10. Do you know anything about that? Or is that kind of a red flag for you guys in any way? How do you think that plays into the resale of this property or the value that it has today? I know I kind of alluded to this earlier, but a stress test or a sensitivity analysis is basically something that the underwriting team generally does. And they say, well, if interest rates go up, this is kind of the effect to the investors. Or if occupancy falls down from 95 to 85, this is what effect that would have on the cash flow to our LP investors. That's just something you probably are going to have to ask for separately. It's usually not included in your standard webinar presentation or something like that. It's certainly not in a PPM, private placement memorandum. So Make sure that you're asking for stuff like this if the numbers are really critical to you or if you feel like maybe they're not being so conservative with the underwriting. This will tell you a lot about a property. And a lot of times I'll see really great looking pro formas, but then I won't see things like they'll disclose, hey, we're buying this at a four cap and that's all they say about it. They don't tell you about stabilization upon the cap rate. They don't tell you about their projected exit cap rate. So we've talked about this a lot, but for buying a property at a four cap, I like to see a five cap in the future projected. Now, I don't actually want to see that happen. That means the softening of the market. That means a lesser purchase price, generally speaking. But it's a way to be conservative when you're underwriting and something to look for. So if they do a presentation and just say, hey, we're buying in a four cap, end of story, 
I'll always ask the question, what about the exit cap? What do you think that might be in the future? And then if they say four and a half, five, five and a half, six, that's being conservative. If they say, oh, the same, four or lower, three, two, one, red flag for me. It's just showing that they're being very aggressive. It's kind of like predicting interest rates. Do you want someone to predict that interest rates are going to keep going down, down, down forever until we go negative interest rates? Is that being conservative or is it more conservative to say, well, interest rates might be going up at some point in the future and hopefully they don't. But if they do, we've already factored that into this business plan. And the last thing I want to point out here about the deal itself is, again, under the philosophy of trust but verify, go to places like apartments.com and actually look for yourself at the comps. I know they usually will show you comps in the overview, but they're handpicking the comps that they want to show you, the operator. So it's better to do your own due diligence. So if the business model is, hey, we're buying this property. It's got a lot of two-bed, two-baths. They're currently rented at $1,100 a month. They are not renovated units, and the comps are fourteen. Per month in the area. If that's what's said, if that's what the business plan is, hop on apartments.com, go look at actual comps in the area in the three, five, 10 mile radius, look at two bedroom, two baths, and see if they're actually renting at 1400 or greater for a very comparable property. It is not a comp <laughs> to suggest, hey, we're buying a 1975 property and we're going to raise rents to 1400 when a brand new built A-class luxury apartment community is renting at 1400 a month, two bed, two baths. That's not a comp, even though it's same square footage, two bed, two bath. I tell you, obviously, a prospective renter is not going to go rent the 1975 unit if they can go rent a 2022 built unit for the same price. So you really got to read between the lines there and think how conservative is this? Maybe the other older properties are renting at 1400 or 1500 or 1600, in which case that's a very conservative assumption, but maybe they're only renting at 1200 and maybe they've already been renovated. So that's a big red flag. If you've got renovated units renting at 1200 and this business plan is to raise rents to 1400, you may not get it. So that means you may not get the overall projections and that means all the numbers kind of go out the wayside. So do your own homework. That's what I want to cover in this episode is some of the risk points going into 2022. We have to be more diligent than ever as investors. We need to be doing our own homework. You can always reach out to me if you have further questions. Travis at AshcroftCapital.com, JoeFairless.com social media. I'm always happy to help any questions you have. I appreciate you guys so much as always for reaching out. Let's connect on LinkedIn. Let's connect on bigger pockets. Let's connect on Facebook, on Instagram at passive investor tips. I'm always here to be a resource for you guys. So thanks so much. And we will see you next week in another episode of the actively passive show. I'm Travis Watts. Have a best ever week.